Today we are continuing our studies on the book of John. How many of us have missed the book of John? <laughs> I have. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. At least teaching it. And um, so we'll take um, the song that we will sing because of um, um, the study and our heart and our approach to it. Holy words, long preserved for our work in this world. Can sound with God's own heart? Oh, let the ancient words in words of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope in this world.
and so shall it be. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Do we all have the outline? Okay, so if you are new to Tribe, it is a Bible study. You have the opportunity of asking questions. If you, if you have a question, you can raise your hand, and at some point, you will be asked to contribute. Feel free to um, share from your heart, and God will bless you in Jesus' name. This particular outline, in the front, you have some fill in the blanks and some space, and if you turn to the back, you have a lot of space, um, spaces here for you to write. Again, every time we do a study in the book of John, it's like drinking from a water hydrant. It's like we are drinking from a big hose that is pouring out water. So uh, that's why you have these blank spaces. Put down as much as you are able to. And if you need more sheets of paper, just raise your hands and the ushers will be happy to give you, <laughs> hopefully. Praise the name of the Lord. So in the open um, section, it's, uh, the question there is, from the last teaching on the book of John, what haven't you been able to shake off, quote and unquote? It's not that you should be able to shake off any part of the word of God, you know, but how it is that when, when you go through a teaching or you hear the word, something just, I mean, sticks with you and, you know, it's as if every corner you turn, you are seeing it or it's so mind-boggling that you can't get over it. I mean, what would that be for you? Who, who can remember? It's been a while, so it must really be something this tough to shake off. Who, 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 who wants to go? Okay, there's a hand in front. Um, hallelujah. For me, it's um, <laughs> what has been, um, what I've been ruminating over and been resonating with me is, Lamide, who is your selfers? You know, who are you bringing to Jesus? Who is that that right. God will say, this is Peter, this is the rock? Right. Huh? Who, who is your selfers? You know, who brought selfers to Jesus? Who brought selfers to Jesus? Ah, yeah, give the mic back to, <laughs> who is your selfers? Who, who, was, who brought selfers to Jesus? Andrew. Andrew, Andrew. brought selfers to Jesus. Is that correct? Is it Andrew or Philip? Andrew. Who did Philip bring? Nathaniel. Praise the name of the Lord. As the purpose of Bible study, you have to know these stories, you know, and get to know the Bible for yourself, you know, so that when, as the Bible says, when you have been asked, you can defend your faith. You can, you know why you believe what you believe. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you very much. Let's, let's clap for um, Pastor Lamde. Um, who else? I think probably one more. What can't you shake off? Yes. That the word of God has both word and deed. So when you have the word, you don't have to fight about it. The word is able to um, produce. produce on its own. On its own. Yeah. Amen. The, the word of God is, is both word and deed. You know, praise the name of the Lord. So when God says, let there be light, 
and there was light. I think it's in Luke 1, 57, 57 or 37, where it says that, for with God, all things shall be possible. You know, the, the original actually says, for there's no word of God that is without power. So the word has the capacity to bring to birth what it has said. You know, and that is the, I mean, beauty of our faith. You know, today we are in John chapter 3, and we can um, only do the first part of John chapter 3. John chapter 3, in fact, if we do the first three verses, or first 16 verses, I mean, it's, it's, it's preloaded itself. But we will do the first 21 verses today, and um, we'll pick it up from there next week. John chapter 3, from verse 1. Are we there? It's on the screen if you need to read along from the New Living Translation. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. There was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. That alone, it's a tribe message. (laughs) After dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, pause, pause. The man came and said to Jesus, we know God is with you. No one can do the things that you are doing if God is not with him. And Jesus looked at him and said, except the man be born again. He cannot say, what kind of response is that? What kind of response is that? And we're going to see the kind of response it is as, 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 we, as we proceed. What do you mean, Nicodemus exclaimed, How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assured you, I assure you rather, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. I would say water and the spirit. Humans can only produce human life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. That which is born of the Spirit is is spirit. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the sound, the wind of the wind, but can't tell where it comes from and where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher. And yet, you don't understand these things? I assure you, We tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you don't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me, 
When I tell you about earthly things, because you can't believe if you don't understand. So if you don't believe, don't understand, you can't believe. So if you don't believe me. So Nicodemus was talking about, I don't understand. Jesus is saying, if you don't believe me. Because you can't believe if you don't understand. How can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the son of man who has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, snake, on the pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, it was everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. Your focus should be on what God wants to do in them. Not on yourself gloating and saying, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, oh, I'm very favored. Oh, uh, praise the Lord. Uh, I know. I'm a king's kid. Oh, praise the Lord. Uh, I know. Then you go on, you get to him, you say, judged for not believing in, in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. Here is the judgment. God's light came into the world. But the people loved darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All would do evil at the light and refuse to go near it. For fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. The Lord bless the reading and the understanding of his words in the name of Jesus. So we see here a story of a man called Nicodemus that came to Jesus. And he came to Jesus and, and said to Jesus that we know God is with you. We know God sent you. And the reason we know is that, listen, we've watched you. Nobody can do what you are doing except God is with him. I pray in the name of Jesus that the people in your life, the people that you do life with, the people that you work with, your colleagues, your neighbors, your friends, we look at you and say, we know God is with you. Because Nobody can live like this if God has not empowered her or empowered him in the mighty name of Jesus. We know God is with you. Nobody can have this kind of peace or understanding or clarity or vision or favor except God is with him. That was Jesus' testimony. That would be your testimony in the mighty name of Jesus. Do you receive that? Amen. That would be your testimony. Your testimony should not be, I thought you said God was with you. And it will not be. Your testimony must not be, I thought you said, you see, sometimes, you see, we, we, we amplify with words what God wants to amplify with deeds. 
we struggle to amplify with words what God wants to amplify with results. I'm a student, for instance. You know, I got saved in my final year of, of university. And when I got saved, one of my pain then and my regrets was I didn't get saved in my first year of university. Why? Because there was no way by the grace of God and the, the covenant of, that I could see in the word of God that I would have been saved in my year one and not make a first class. It's impossible. Totally impossible. Absolutely impossible. No way. Whether the lecturer likes me or not. So what am I saying? So while I was, you know, regretting that, oh, I, if I'd known Jesus earlier, I, I definitely would have made it first class. It dawned on me that you have a whole life in front of you. Now you know Jesus. Let your life be first class. Praise the name of the Lord. Let your life be first class. Let it be that... In school, if you're a student, people will come and say something, there's something. I mean, that was Jesus' testimony. They came to him. And if you look at the person that, that came to Jesus, the caliber of the person that came to Jesus is not a, um, a mean person. Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. He was extremely powerful and wealthy. Nicodemus was a wealthy, powerful Jew. That's the first thing in the filling the blanks is extremely powerful and wealthy. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Everybody say Sanhedrin. When the, when the NLT says a member of the religious leader is the Sanhedrin. And it wasn't only in the Sanhedrin, it was a Pharisee. Now, when we hear Pharisee, we think, oh, bad people, right? That is not the testimony of Pharisees in the times of Jesus. And hopefully we'll have enough time to explain it. The Sanhedrin, I intentionally wanted to write it down, because you have to know these things, you have to know the word of God. The, the, the Sanhedrin was the ruling class not just ruling class, they are are between 20 to 71 people in the council. The word Sanhedrin just means council. So they are between 20 to 71 people in the whole of Israel that are the leaders of leaders. It's it's like the Supreme Court in the U.S. A group of people that their word become law. Nicodemus was one of those people. Not only was he one of the Sanhedrins, he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. And Nicodemus and a lot of other Pharisees were earnest, seeking men who loved God and loved the Torah passionately. In fact, the Pharisees was, was the movement of, of the back to the Bible people in the times of Jesus, the, the purities, the people, the, the radicalists, the people that believe that you have to obey the scriptures to the letter. They had a problem because they wanted to force that down everybody's throat and there is no human being that can obey the Bible to the letter. It's not possible. 
And because it's not possible, they discover about themselves that, you know, because they're also human beings, they're going to make mistakes. And when they have mis- make mistakes, they cover it up. So Jesus says to them, you hypocrites. You are putting a load on people that they cannot carry. But, but Jesus, it's Jehovah that gave us the law. And Jesus is saying, no, the law was a school teacher to show you that you need grace. I am full of grace and truth. You need me. The law pointed to Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. The word Nicodemus, the name Nicodemus is, um, is a Greek name, interestingly. And it means victorious people. Victorious people. And I mean, so there's some people, um, the, the school of thought that Nicodemus' parents are obviously they were solid Jews that believed that the Jews would be victorious at the end of the day against the inquest and the conquest of, of the Greek, the Romans, and all the people that occupied Israel. Praise the Lord. So when we hear the fact that Nicodemus came at night, it suggests to us that it was a, it was a coward. When we read from a Western background, Western thinking, that he came at night, we are like, he's afraid so that uh, people will not kick against him. But if you read it from a Semitic mindset, from how the scriptures were written in the context of the time it was written, Nicodemus was not a coward. If I come in by night, doesn't show cowardice. For two reasons, Nicodemus was not a coward. Number one, he came at night because that was when rabbis exchanged scriptures. That was when they explained scriptures. So the rabbinic movement, you know, we explained the rabbinic movement in the in part one or part two. Do you remember? So rabbi reserved the evening hours for scriptural discussions and for interrabbi interrabbinic exchanges. In other words, they spend the day teaching their students, discipling their students. In the evenings, rabbis like them, they visit each other to exchange notes and to rob minds. So Nicodemus was coming to Jesus when Jesus was open to talk to a scriptural giant, so to speak. That was why Jesus was frustrated that you are a teacher of the law. You mean you don't understand this? Because when I'm talking to the people in the day, I I talk to them in parables. They, They may not understand. I understand. But you are a teacher. So Nicodemus coming at night was not because he was a coward. Praise the Lord. I mean, I'm guilty of that too. I was coming for the God how many times I've read that passage. I will just conclude that this guy is just a big coward. That for good reason, because they will have killed him. That was the thinking. But it obviously wasn't when I dig down to study that he wasn't a coward. And the second reason, are you writing? And the second reason Nicodemus wasn't a coward was because a coward will not step up to claim the body of Jesus. A convicted criminal. If you read John 19, 38 to 37, it was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea that went to claim the body of Jesus. Where was Peter? 
Why didn't even John that wrote this book, why didn't John go to claim the body of Jesus? Why didn't the disciples, the family of Jesus were at the cross, why didn't they go to claim the body of Jesus? Why? Why? Because it was a dangerous thing to claim the body of a convicted criminal. They begin to investigate you. So, when Jesus was alive, these people were flocking around him. When he died, everybody turned their back. Except Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, and the woman. That's why Jesus showed up to the woman first. Peter, all of them, they turned their back. They went, they said, oh, guy, oh boy, they go fish. <laughs> this Jesus thing is not happening. I'm going back to fish. But Nicodemus went and, and claimed the body of Jesus. A coward can't do that at that time. So when you read of Nicodemus and you get to that part, please don't see a coward anymore. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Because a person that can stand by you even after death is not a hypocrite or a coward. In fact, that's a true friend. When, when people are dead, they, they can't pay you back. There's no favor they can do to you. So people that can still stand by you when you are helpless, those are your real friends. Really. People that are bold enough to stand by you when you have no strength. Those are your real friends. But unfortunately, it is the people, we are, the world, it is the people that can stand by them when they have no strength, are the people they oppress when they have a lot of money, and they try to impress the people that don't care about them when they have no strength. So when uh, a classic man that has a lot of money, abandons all his friends, abandons his families, tries to go to town and be a popular jingo with people that don't care about him, only for him to get sick and needs care, and it's only the same family that he has abandoned that is around him to be with him. And unfortunately, some men that are down to zero now, all they are waiting for is to make money so that they can oppress the people that are standing with them when they have nothing. Does that even make sense? Praise the name of the Lord. Verse 2. <clears throat> Verse 2 says, Verse 2. Thank you. I'm, I'm skipping those scriptures for time, so just read them when you get home. After dark, one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know. Who are we? Who are we? We all know that you are from God. Nicodemus was bold enough to come. He wasn't sent. You know, the people that were sent in John chapter 2, they said we were sent. He wasn't sent. 
is come, but he's talking on behalf of a group of people. We know you are from God. No one can do these things except God be with him. Your teacher sent from God. Who are we? The Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. They knew that Jesus was from God. They knew the truth. So why did they kick against Jesus and eventually killed him? Reputation. They had a reputation with the people. So collective reasoning is so dangerous. Because collectively, they refused to accept. Because accepting this Jesus will mean their own popularity will go down. As we see in John from 22 to 46 or 36, the later part of this chapter, John 3, John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. His disciples wanted to go. He says, go and meet him. They told him that he's baptizing more than you. He says, but I told you he's greater than me. John was ready to let go of his reputation for the namesake of Christ Jesus. The Pharisees were not ready. They protected it till the end, even at the cost of killing Jesus. Now, the question is, what reputation are you protecting? Even at the cost of Christ, what reputation are you, put, are you protecting? What image have you put forward, you know, that you are ready to kill you won't say you are ready to kill, but you can lie. And, you know, to protect the image, you're a Pharisee in the negative sense. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> That's the danger of seeking collective relevance. Verse 3, quickly. And, and Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus was focused on what God is doing through Jesus. And that is important. Nicodemus was focused on what God is doing through Jesus. Oh, we see the signs that you do. Nobody can do this except God is with him. This, you did this, you did that. You did this, you did that. But guess what? Jesus was focused on what God wants to do in Nicodemus. Except a man be born again. He came to Jesus. He was focused on what God was doing through Jesus. But Jesus did not even have any... Jesus did not even ask him, what did you come for? Jesus just went straight to what God was doing in him. And you see, the truth is, is this. When people see what God is doing through you, the door is open for what God wants to do in them. I know, I know it's a lot. I'm going to take it again. When people see what God is doing through you, your focus should be on what God wants to do in them. Not on yourself gloating and saying, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, I, oh I'm very favored. Oh, uh, praise the Lord. Uh, I know. I'm a king's kid. Oh, praise the Lord. Uh, you know. Uh, they, then you go on, you get to me, say, you give it testimony. Then you, you tell your wife or your husband or your friends, ah, I was really favored. Meanwhile, you missed a door. Because when people can see what God is doing 
in you, a door is opening for what God wants to do in them. <laughs> okay, one person got it. Okay, the rest of us are writing. It's big, it's huge. It's, it's, um, and when we get this, what is known as evangelism becomes natural. Evangelism does not become something that makes your heart skip a bit. Some Christians, when they hear evangelism, they, they, they freeze. When people see what God is doing through you, it's an opportunity for you to partner with God to bring to birth what God wants to do in them. Praise the name of the Lord. So when we get to verse 4, and we see his confusion, Nicodemus' confusion, Mr. Nico was confused. What do you mean? He exclaimed. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? But you see, the term born again was not new. Nicodemus was not hearing born again for the first time. That was what amounted to Jesus' frustration. In Judaism, the term born again is used for people that are converted, that are Gentiles, that, are, that want to be Jews. Then they become proselytes, converts. So they are baptized and they become Jews. Then in the Jewish sense, the Jewish term that is being used was born again. So when Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, you have to be born again. He knew it wasn't, a, it, it wasn't telling him to become a Jew. So it was like, is this guy saying I must go into my mother's womb and come out again? So he was confused and he was conflicted. And if you see what Jesus did to him, sometimes, in, in retrospect, reading the stories of Jesus, I'm, 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 I'm like, it's only Jesus that can think like this. I mean, how can you take a man that knows so much and you just make him feel like he knows nothing? He, he just has to be God. And at the end of the day, the man is like, what are you saying? What are you saying? When you read verse 7, skip to 7, we come back to 5. Verse 7. Verse 7 says, So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now, the you there is plural. Jesus is addressing Mr. Nico and his friends. So he's saying, go and tell them all of you must be born again. What an insult. I mean, <laughs> they were felt. <laughs> we that determines the people that should be born again, that concept of born again, which is coming in, becoming a Jew, 
And Jesus now is telling us when he says, um, you know, if English is so, is so limited, even our own uh, broken English is richer than the Queen's English. Do you know that? It is. Talk less of our native languages. Our native languages are richer than English. When he says you, that you is plural, if you were to be in, in, uh, in Pidgin, it would be Una. Una supposed to be born twice. So, so when you read Una, you understand immediately that Jesus is talking to. But English, when he says you, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get it. Except you do what I do. You take Greek lexicon, you take Hebrew, you take uh, Aramaic, then you will begin to say, okay, which one is singular, which one is plural. How many people can do that? Not many have of the, <laughs> the time, you know, really. But it's important that we understand that when he said, we know that you are you are sent from God. Jesus was speaking to him and was sending him a message to his group. Jesus was saying, you have to be born again. And in verse 7, he says, plural, you, Una, supposed to be born again. All of Una, together. <laughs> and verse 5, you know, expounded on it. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Now, you are, I mean, you are confusing me, Jesus. You said I should be born again. Now, you are talking about water and spirit. Now, of course, there's been a lot of um, teaching on uh, the first one. Jesus says no one can see the kingdom except it's born again. And the second time, Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom except it's born again. That you have to, um, there's this, you have to see the kingdom, then you have to enter the kingdom and all that stuff. I won't go into it because I've, I've, I've done, listened to a lot of teaching on that regard. And my conclusion is that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus was just explaining further. He was just expatiating what he meant by you have to be born again. So see and enter, pretty much the same. So Jesus is saying, for you to be born again, you have to be born of the water and of the spirit. That was the water and spirit. So Jesus is simply saying, the birth I'm referring to happens through what? Water and spirit, that's what he's simply saying. Through water and spirit. And water, you know, I mean, it's spiritually charged. Water is a spiritually charged term in the scriptures. Particularly in the book of John. Water is a spiritually charged term. Spiritually charged. Water is so crucial to man. It's so, 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 so crucial to man. That... Jesus himself is described as the water of life. So let's look at water. 
Man is how many percent water? Come on. How many percent water? Seventy-five percent water. So man without water is nothing. How many cups of water should we drink in one day? I know how many cups of water. Okay. <clears throat> Someone wants to answer there. Someone wants to answer there. Eight. Okay, eight cups of water. Oh, eight or ten. Some people say eight, some say ten. You know, if you drink nine, you'll be fine. <laughs> so what are the benefits of drinking water? <clears throat> what are the benefits of drinking water? One, two, yeah? It keeps you hydrated. And it cures um, headache. It cures what? Headache. Headaches. So water keeps you hydrated, cures headache. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Does what to you? Water detoxifies our um, body. Detoxify. That's yes. a big grammar. So can you break uh, that? It washes um, uh, things that we have inhaled, like um, fumes or no, okay. things we have eaten. Blush it out, the yam yaman things Toxics. from your body. Toxins. Okay, okay, I understand. I understand. I'm just trying to. <clears throat> what else? <clears throat> water. Yes. What does water do? It aids digestion. It aids digestion. Okay. What else? Yeah. What does water do? Um, it is used for maintenance of body temperature. Maintenance of body temperature. And it is used for um, it is used for metabolic activities in the body. That sounds like a jam cramming <laughs> <laughs> metabolic activity. That's correct. Thank you. Yes, sir. It also helps the eyes. That is water that yes. the eyes to move properly. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. So water, you know, you no know, get any me. That's another benefit. <laughs> Who else? Yes, it's the hand there. Thank you. Um, it serves as a component of blood. Yes, it's a component of blood. Okay, so benefit. What's, that, what's the benefit of that? Without it, there's no blood. Okay, so we see that what is so useful is so useful to life. In fact, Many things they say, there's what they call water therapy, you know. If you just drink water and rest, you'll be fine. Just drink a lot of water. You feel this way, just drink a lot of water. Why? Because you are made of water. Now, Jesus is saying, except you are born of water and of the spirit you will not enter the kingdom of God. But you are 75% born of water already, physically. So what can that be? John <laughs> uses the word water 20 times, more than all the gospels, other gospels combined, if you, if you count. So water is a big part of John's message. From chapter 2, we begin to see water. Water is associated with healing. John 5, 2 to 4, and 9 to 7. Water is associated with healing. 
Sometimes when God wants to heal, God can say, pray over water. But that doesn't mean you should be praying over water every time. You know, there's a pray water. I went to meet pastor. I brought my water. Only water. You know? <laughs> it has become an idol. You know? It's become an idol. Some people are worshiping water. Do you know that? If, if they are setting up churches, it must be near water. Otherwise, there will not be action. <laughs> crazy people going on. Crazy things going on. Jesus walked on water. Water cooperated with Jesus. John 6, 19. John 6, 19. Jesus' first miracle involved water. John chapter 2. From John chapter 1, we began to see water. Jesus was talking about baptism. was baptized in water. Water flowed from the wounded side of Jesus at crucifixion. John 16. Next, 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 next. You don't have those? Okay. Just go to the next thing. It's okay. Next one. Uh-huh. Water flowed from the wounded side of Jesus at crucifixion. I want to know who that person is. Let me see. Who is the person? Can you stand up? Behind the pro presenter. Who is behind the pro presenter? Are you the one pro presenter? Okay. You need some training. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> and the most striking pronouncement of Jesus concerning water is, is in John 7 37. You know, and, and that is what we use for the teaser of this series. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, anyone who is thirsty may come to me and drink. So Jesus says, I am the water of life. Water is connected to the identity of Christ and the promise of a new life through the Spirit. They have to be born of water. Spirit. On the other hand, in verse, in verse 8, if you read verse 8, it says, The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And it also means you can't explain the oppression of the people that are born of the Spirit. People that are born of the Spirit follow the Spirit. So you cannot predict them. It's the way you can't predict the Spirit of God. Obviously, every Christian is supposed to be born of the Spirit. And the word Spirit is, the Greek, in Greek is, is pneuma, with P in front. And in Hebrew, is ruah. Interestingly, it's one word in Greek and Hebrew that means the same thing. It means both spirit and wind. It means both spirit and wind. It means breath. It means wind. So the spirit, which is like water, is also like wind. 
The spirit which is like water is also like wind. You can hear it. You can see its effect. But it remains invisible. You can hear the spirit. You can see the effect of the spirit. But you can't see the Holy Spirit. You can hear the Holy Spirit. How many people can, I can hear the Holy Spirit? Let me see your hands up. I can hear the Holy Spirit. Come on, quickly. Just, I know you're writing. Put the other hand up if you're writing with one hand. Okay, you're holding the paper with the other hand. Shake your head. If okay, good. <laughs> now, you... Amen. Amen. How many people have seen the effects of the Holy Spirit? You've seen and healing. You've seen someone get saved. You've seen... Good. So, we have people here that, have, that can hear the Holy Spirit. They can see His effect. How many people have seen him? You've seen the Holy Spirit. Let me see your hands up. Nobody. Pastor's hands not even up. <laughs> Nobody has seen the Holy Spirit. Meanwhile, we can hear him. And we can see his work, his effect. You cannot see where it's coming from. You cannot see where it's going. So, Jesus, by the time you get to verse 9, Jesus had pulled the rug off Nicodemus' feet. He was flat on his face. All he could say was, how can these things be? (laughs) You know, I mean, imagine all the things we've been explaining. By the time you get to verse 9, Nicodemus says, how is this, how are these things possible? How are these things possible? Then Jesus' response in verse 10, Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher and you don't understand these things. If you, can you please put up the um, NRSV or the KJV, any of them, just find it and put it up. What Jesus was saying is this. The KJV or the NRS will say, You are a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. He says, And thou art a master of Israel. It's the, 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 the term master of Israel or teacher of Israel is a technical term used to address the Pharisees. They call themselves teachers of Israel. If you see a Pharisee, they, 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 that's what they, they brandish that name. And that title, Master of Israel. So, so Jesus is saying, Mr. Nico, you are a teacher in Israel, or teacher of Israel, but you don't understand these things. And he should have understood the rebirth, because the, the concept of rebirth is not new. God prophesied in Ezekiel 26, Ezekiel 36, 26. That a new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put within, within you. So Jesus was, Nicodemus was confused. Jesus was frustrated. I shouldn't you know it. And, and sometimes, you know, it kind of, I mean, um, makes me a little bit 
easy on myself because sometimes I get frustrated with some people that you expect to know some things that they don't know it. And you're like, shouldn't you know these things? That's where Jesus was here. And if you put up verse 11, it says, I assure you, we tell you what we know, I've seen, singular, those first two users are singular, and yet you won't believe our testimony, the second you is plural. So, I tell you, the thing where I see, and Una, no believe me. You see that? <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> so Jesus was saying, what if I use things that you can't even relate to? And by the time you get to verse 13, Jesus started switching to his sermonic voice. Sorry, John started switching to his sermonic voice which kicked on fully in verse 16. 13 to 15 says, No one has ever gone to heaven or returned, but the Son of Man came down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So, what does he mean? What was he referring to when he, when he said, as Moses was lifted up the brass serpent, if, if you write down Numbers 21, 4 to 9, Numbers 21, 4 to 9, um, the people of Israel, they, they, they were on their way, and they started grumbling they became impatient and they started grumbling. When people become impatient, they, they begin to grumble. And as they were grumbling, God became upset at their grumbling. And they are impatient with him. And, and God said to Moses, I'm, I'm upset with these people. And God sent snakes, venomous snakes. And the snakes were biting the people and killing the people and interesting Moses came to God talked to God the people cried to God help us God said to Moses the people said to God take away the snake from us we will be patient with you we will not complain we promise we will be gentle with you God we will not complain God did not take away the snakes. Instead, God set up a bronze image, told Moses to set up a bronze image of that same kind of snake and hang it up and says to them, I'm not going to take away the snake, but anytime the snakes bite you, if you look at the bronze image, you will be healed. So Jesus is saying, the same way Moses lifted up the brown serpent, I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So Jesus was saying, 
the brass serpent that was listed up in the, in the wilderness is a type of Christ. The brass serpent, the same way God will not take away sin from this world, bad people from this world, bad things from happening in this world. But whenever you are hit hard, if you look at the cross of Calvary and see Jesus, you will be saved. You will be saved. We want God to take care of all the bad people and the bad things and even our bad sinful nature. Take it away. But Jesus is saying, no. So it was an image that was born in the memory of the the collective memory of, of all Israel. And in verse, John 12, I've quoted already, verse 32, it says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So the new birth, this new birth comes when I am lifted up and you look to me and believe in me. So this born of the water and of the spirit will happen when I am lifted up and you look to me and believe in me. Boom, you are born of the water. And of the spirit. <laughs> huge. It's huge. Some people want us to believe that until you are baptized in water, baptism is important, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't save you. What saves you is your faith in the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. Like the Israelites in the wilderness, anyone who looks to the cross of Calvary in obedience and faith will find new life. So when the serpent strikes, when the world hits you, when sin takes over and strikes, Jesus is saying, look to me and live. When you look to me, you live. When you take your eyes off me, you die. It was a big statement to be made. This was, Jesus was barely 30. Nicodemus was probably in his 50s. Going by admittance to the Sanhedrin and all that. And he's saying that I will be lifted up. Then when you look at me, you will be saved. Think about it. If somebody 20 years younger than you comes and tells you that today, I mean, the person will be crazy, obviously. But <laughs> try and picture the, the struggle of these people. It wasn't that they were just mean people, but Jesus was very offensive, really. If you look at it well, he was. Look and leave. Finally, Okay, not finally. There was one more <laughs> after this. I, I didn't see it. Verse 16 to 18. Is, 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 I mean, obviously, those are the most quoted words in the New Testament. This is, the, I mean, everybody here should be able to quote this from the KJV version. For this is how God loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave what? Yeah, you know it. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world 
through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him is already being judged for not believing in the one and only son of God. So Jesus did not come to condemn the world. Jesus did not come to condemn, but to save. Jesus came to save, not to condemn. Unfortunately, the image of, of, of the Christian church, particularly in the Western world, in the U.S. particularly, and other Western nations, is that the church is judgmental. If you ask an average millennial, the poll is horrible. When the word church comes to your mind, what do you think of? All of, most of them says they are judgmental people. They just judge you. They just condemn you. <laughs> but that is so opposite. Jesus says, I have not come to judge. Jesus did not. Jesus came to save. So where is judgment? The judgment is this. The world is already judged in judgment, in darkness. So Jesus came. And if you look to him, you will find life. If you reject him, you just continue in your normal state. Praise the name of the Lord. And in verse 19 to 21, which is the final bit. And this is so important. You have to get this. It's so important. And this is judgment, that the light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So imagine you have a, a school and there's darkness everywhere in the school except the assembly hall. The assembly hall has light, but the hostels is filled with darkness. The classrooms it's filled with darkness. And before the assembly light had light, everywhere was filled with darkness. Then, the principal brought his generator and plugged it to the assembly hall and powered it and it had light. And the principal said, everyone that wants light Come into the assembly hall. When you come into the assembly hall, what do you find? Light. When you stay back in the dormitory, what do you have? Darkness. The assembly hall that's filled of light is like Christ. When you put your faith in him, you have light. When you don't, you are in darkness already. But because light exposes, 
When people come to light, they see they are, they are dirty. And they want to run back to darkness. And God is saying, no, stay in light. And this is the mistake we make. A lot of people make. They don't understand that the person that provided light also provided soap and cleansing. The person that provided light provided soap. The soap is, it makes you whiter than snow. He washes the hiss up. He uses the disinfectant he uses to take away the disease and the stain is the blood of his son, Jesus. So it doesn't only provide light, it provides cleansing. Guess what? You may be cleansed and your, dead, and your clothes are stinking. It doesn't only provide light and cleansing, it provides clothing. Clothing. He wants to rob you in white. Listen, there is no amount of good work that you can do. When you come into this light, it's like filthy rags. You cannot, your good deeds, your pleasing God with good deeds should end today. Why? Because the best of our works, when it comes into this assembly ground, we see that it is filled with rags. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. That his life has atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise, Praise the Lord. Praise, Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, through Jesus, the Son, and give him the glory. To God be the glory. Let's take it one more time. To God be the glory. Great things has done so
Father, through Jesus, the Son, and gave Him the glory. Great things He has done. Let's bow down our hearts, let's bow our heads. Let's talk to God. The auditorium is flooded with lights. There's light. Jesus is being lifted up. He says, if you come to me, you will find life. I want to pray with you today. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never committed your faith to him, I want to pray with you. Or you, or you used to be born again, you used to be with God, but you know right now, you took your eyes off that brass serpent and the snake have beaten you and you're dying. Life is leaving you. You want to rededicate your life to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus or rededicate my life to Jesus. Put up your hand. God bless you. If I put it up, put it up well. God bless you. <laughs> well, she's a little girl, but she knows what she's doing. So, God bless you, sir. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Oh, I come to you, Jesus, today. I put my faith in you. And the rest of us, maybe you, you are trying to, to, you've come to the light. You've seen that your, your, your clothes is dirty. You want to hide in one corner. Don't hide. He provides cleansing. You see that you are dirty. He provides cleansing. Ask him to cleanse you in his blood. You see that your righteousness is like filthy rags. Your, 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 your garment is stinking. He provides clothing. Tell him to change it for you. To the Father, through Jesus, the Son, and give Him the glory. Great things He has done. Father, we, we pray in the name of Jesus for these ones that are coming to you today. Afresh or rededicating their lives, Lord, we ask. In their lives, let there be light. Let your life burst forth in them. Oh, Father, change these lives for good, Lord. In all our lives present in this place, Lord, wash us with your blood. Change our filthy garments to your white raiment. And let your name be glorified. Honor and glory be given to you. Honor and glory be given to you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Because I'm a tussie